Coming to you from the planet Venus. The horror. <laughs> it's the little podcast of horrors with James, Christina, and Chris. Welcome to the little podcast of horrors. I'm James. And, I, and these are your hosts. <laughs> what he said. I'm Chris. I'm Christina. And together we're the little podcast of horrors. Thank you for joining us and good night. Oh, I mean, hello. So uh, we got some merch now, by the way. Mm-hmm. Really? I ordered a wine glass. I got a, I got a shirt. It's got our logo on it. I'm wearing it right now. He is, guys. He never takes it off. <laughs> I never will. The show. He's gonna be buried in that. <laughs> so, do you want a shirt too? Do you want a mug, or something to drink your beer in, or something to drink your wine in? Even well, you've come to the right place. And by that place, we mean the little, little podcast of horrors. dot <laughs> <laughs> com. Little podcast of horrors. dot com. Yeah, what he said. <laughs> show dude <laughs> you're a mess <laughs> anything you buy supports the show and god knows we need it <laughs> damn don't say sound desperate god knows we need it we are suffering <laughs> we're standing we're on, on a shoestring budget that shoestring is snapping <laughs> we're, we're standing outside on the street corner doing it right now on our really nice microphones and computer. <laughs> people are looking at us it's weird <laughs> so tesla back at it wow no no gentleness it's i mean wait, we're we are diving into the tesla tickles i mean it's it we're just we're balls in all the way you already had the foreplay with part one right? now yeah now we're time gonna have to have, get to business foreplay is over now we're gonna have that tesla in and around our mouths Oh my god! <laughs> I quite how I was gonna put it. <laughs> That's why you got me, bud. Well, you might have thought the last episode was a a little tame. Oh yeah, that's what I was but, thinking with the aliens that Nikola Tesla discovered and was communicating with. Yeah, don't totally. Worry. T- <laughs> yeah, they're they're totally tuning in. Like this better be this better be even much better than that tame last episode. Oh, don't worry. It's gonna be. We've only just begun. Oh, and now we're gonna worry. we're gonna put that accelerator to the floor. Shit's about <laughs> to get real. So I'm continuing pulling from my primary source, uh, Tim R. Swartz's book, The Lost Journals of Nikola Tesla. And we will be interviewing the author in part three of this three-part episode series. So, uh, as I said the last episode, um, I'm only covering parts of his book. And uh, now that you know what the first episode was about, to be more specific, um, I'm only talking about the alien, alien stuff from his book. His book goes into a lot more than just aliens. Like, you're maybe getting half of what the book touches on here. And then, like, the Cliff Notes version of that. 
So, so if this interests you, I highly recommend buying the book because there is so much more to delve into in the book. Uh, yeah, it's a smorgasbord of Tesla stuff. But we're going to stay in the realm of aliens because that's that's what we like here is we like us some aliens. Love them. Nothing but All love right. for you, E.T. Call <laughs> me. So, Please don't shoot holes in the ozone and give us skin cancer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stop hating on us poor people. <laughs> So, um, I'm not going to give you much of a recap because you really should have listened to the previous ep- of the part one episode if you haven't already, or you're going to be kind of kind of lost. But we did talk about uh, uh, a bunch of Tesla's journals and notes and stuff were lost uh, after his death because the government done stormed in and took it because uh, the the Nazis were using it to build some flying saucers. Ain't that something? Nazi flying saucers. Hold that thought. But anyway, we talked about that. Uh, what what has come back around to release into the public eye, if only through this book, is stuff from his journals talking about listening to some alien conversations. There was there was inventions, there was doohickeys, if you will. That's what the whole the whole episode was about. There were doohickeys so, galore. So now, with that, we're gonna move on to the next part of Tesla's secret story. So, from Tesla's memoirs, beginning in 1919, Tesla writes about having visions so vivid, it's as if they appear before his very eyes. These visions were so vivid, in fact, that Tesla at times had trouble distinguishing visions from reality. This was like a serious thing he's dealing with. Yeah. So let's hear it from the man's mouth. To quote Tesla, I began to see visions of things that bore no resemblance to reality. It was as if I was being shown ideas of some cosmic mind waiting to make real its conceptions. So in the beginning, Tesla tried to, and again, as I said last episode, Tesla was... You know, he had a healthy amount of skepticism. He didn't just jump into, hey, I'm having, I'm a crazy visions guy. That's not where he went with that. <laughs> so uh, at first he tried to distract himself from the visions, but um, later in his life, he finally learned to embrace them and he just leaned into them. And uh, as he did so, he would eventually have elaborate nightly adventures inside his head. He would, in a sense, via these nightly visions, live another life go to other cities, meet people, and actually full excuse me, blah, 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 and actually form full real relationships. All of this in his head. It's like a multiverse thing. He's a dreamwalker. Yeah, I mean it's like a multiverse if the other universe was entirely in Ukrainian. I was gonna go but, with schizophrenia, but that's a cop out, Chris. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> go for the low hanging fruit right there. What kind of what kind of show do you think this is? You're Little right. podcast of boring crap. You're right. I'm sorry. Anyway, he used these visions to invent things. Uh, he would have he would at first build them in his inner realm, and it makes me think of like the uh, whole Sherlock Holmes. Uh, what was it called? Uh, Mind Palace. Oh yes, yes, Mind Palace. Yeah. But I think it's akin to that. But he, he would build his invention first inside his inner realm, in his mind, before he would do so in the real world. So, for example, 
his AC motor that was concocted during his visions. Wow. In fact, he dis he supposedly famously disliked drawing. He hated drawing. And it was because any the best of his drawings were never as clear as any of his visions. Mm-hmm. And he could, as it turned out, he could store any design in his mind to be recalled years later. So he even regarded tests performed in his mind as equally valid as real tests performed in the real world. By doing so, this allowed him to make rapid developments without actually interacting with anything. Okay. Uh, so he would he would he would say that this 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 process, this trust and performing tests in his mind instead of in a reality never failed him for 20 years. That's impressive. So to quote Tesla again, it became perfectly evident to me that I was merely an automation endowed with power of movement responding to the stimuli of the sense organs and thinking and acting accordingly it's getting some pretty pretty wild abstract thoughts going on there if you ask me Mm -hmm. so he uh he would go on to talk in his journals about this revelation he had resulting in what he would call the arts of teleautomatics tele like like the telephone Mm -hmm. automatics like the automatic stuff (laughs) <laughs> that those automatic stuff that stuff that's <laughs> automatic automatic to quote tesla again i have been years planning self-controlled automata and believe that mechanisms can be produced which will act as if possessed of reason to a limited degree and will create a revolution in many commercial and industrial departments sounds like he was predicting ai to me Mm-hmm. You know, basically, yeah, uh, automata, self-possessed of reason. I mean, it's, it's what we're yeah. trying to do with AI. I mean, right now we just have it doing really bad pictures, but we're we're in. <laughs> one day we'll do something better. So, having a healthy level of skepticism, as he did, uh, Tesla denied um, there being any paranormal or psychic phenomenon going on. He was having none of that. But uh, instead, he was adamant that um, anybody who was making a claim that that's what was going on, that all such claims were debunkable. He was not a fan of going all paranormal with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he would only have a change of heart uh, and become interested in spirituality late in his life. Uh, so he wrote about believing that it was possible at some point to create a device to display images and notes, uh, you know, basically, basically display what's in your mind, like display it, like up on the wall or something. Pro- you know, put it okay, like project it from your mind. Yeah, what to show your thoughts? Uh, why did he think this was possible? Well, because he had at that point supposedly successfully transmitted his mental image into someone else's head in another room. Okay, telepathically. Yeah, he did some. He did himself in telepathy. He did it. So um, take a moment to speculate. Why do you why do you think Tesla might had some of these visions? Not just visions, but visions that were so reliable and interactive that he could use them as inner laboratories. The aliens put it there. <laughs> it's a good guess. <laughs> so there's this book that Tim references in his book titled Return of the Dove. Author authored by a certain Margaret Storm, and it was privately printed. So Return of the Dove claims 
that once upon a time, there was a spaceship flying from Venus, where it had originated from, to Earth. And a boy was born aboard that spaceship, inbound from Venus to Earth. On July 1856, that boy was called Nicola. No. What? (laughs) Okay. The ship landed midnight between July 9 and 10 in a remote mountain area of Croatia. And the child was placed in the care of Tesla's Earth parents. If you know anything about Tesla's Earth parents, um... Uh, one of them was, my mind is now suddenly going fuzzy that I need to remember on the spot. I believe he was from like Earth. a priest or a monk or something. He was a clergy of some kind. But he was from Earth. He, he was from Earth. But uh, exactly. as it turned out, he adopted uh, the Venus child. I shall take the Venus child and raise him as my own until he grows to be a man. And then he will share his gifts with mankind. By day, he will be a metropolitan scientist in his laboratory. <laughs> Fighting for truth, justice, and science. I'm trying to remember the crows. Like they, they will run after you. The, the whole, the whole. Oh, the Jorel speech. The Jorel speech. Yes. Oh, are you? Are you mean for Man of Steel? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so the the child from this Venus spaceship was was placed in the care of Tesla's Earth parents. How do we know this? Well, uh, one hint was that even though he may now have been aware of it himself, Tesla once confided and a personal assistant, that he often felt he was a stranger to this world. Which, of course, meant he was an alien. Oh, yeah, naturally. Of course. Wait, though, was he really adopted? Like, is that official? Is that piece of it official that that he's adopted? That's not what they would have you believe. Oh, okay. Yes. They would have you believe that these human, normal people with the parents are basically a god. Ridiculous. Again, (laughs) how do we know? How do we know that... um, Tesla was a, I guess, a Venetian. Is that what you would say? Is that what people sure. from Venus are? Are they Venetians? Or is that French? A that, yeah, that's, that's, I don't know. From Venice. Or Venetian? Was he really good with the ladies? He's from, he's from Venus, you know. He's not even from Mars. He's from the wrong planet. I'm just saying, though, if he's from Venus and Venus was the goddess of love, so, you yeah. know, they're all lovers that's on his planet. Suave guy. Suave I want to know. Does he have dual citizenship? Does he have a Venus passport? I never got the impression that Tesla himself even knew he was from Venus. Quit oh, making, okay. quit humanizing this. You don't <laughs> use passports on other planets. It's not like so Mila, how, how... it's not like Mila Jovovich being like <laughs> multipass. So how do we know that uh, that Tesla was from Venus? You just told us. Well, Interstage <laughs> writes the next uh, major figure in our tale of Nikola Tesla, a man by the name of Arthur Matthews. The space people from Venus revealed all this to a certain Arthur H. Matthews of Quebec, Canada. Which is like another planet. I mean, yeah, more or less. <laughs> so um, a certain Dr. Andrea Purick, I can't pronounce that, Puhurik. Puha Rich. Anyway, this this doctor lady uh, interviewed Arthur for a publication called The Pyramid Guide, published uh, May through August of 1978. This is how we first learned of Arthur. Arthur was an electrical engineer born in England. And fun fact, Arthur's dad was one of Lord Kelvin's lab assistants. You may remember Kelvin. Oh, yeah. Okay. 
Like, sure. But after moving uh, to Canada from England, uh, Arthur's Arthur's father set him up with Tesla. And Arthur would work with Tesla until Tesla's death. So Arthur claimed that Tesla entrusted him with many tasks, including the Tesla Interplanetary Communication Set that was first conceived in 1901. Uh, it is also, I think, referred to as the Tesla Scope for short. So the Tesla Interplanetary Communication Set, aka Tesla Scope, was used to talk with Mars. And Tesla built the first working model in 1918. So this kind of seems to coincide with the whole, like, you know, alien transmission stuff going on in Colorado Springs mm-hmm. that we talked about last week. So except now we're getting another side of the story from Arthur here, the lab assistant, if you will. So to quote Arthur directly, Arthur said that it's not generally known, but Tesla actually had two huge magnifying transmitters built in Canada. I operated one of them. People mostly know about the Colorado Springs transmitters and the unfinished one on Long Island. I saw the two Canadian transmitters. All the evidence is there. Pictures of it? or All the evidence is there? Like what? Yes. The evidence of the aliens or were we? The, yeah, the what, towers. Evidence? Oh, just the. Oh, just the towers exist. The, yes. the, tower, the right towers, there. the towers existing <laughs> are evidence that the towers exist. All I know is the evidence is there. <laughs> okay. And what I can't get out of my mind is I just want to believe that over in Quebec somewhere, or like Tesla had, you know, this lab crew that was just all a bunch of like South Park Canadian characters. I'm like, hey, guy, we're working for Tesla. <laughs> and then they fart on each other. Isn't that they spent all day farting on each other? Like, we're gonna talk to some aliens today, buddy. You did that really <laughs> well. Have you been practicing? <laughs> I think he has. Every morning in the mirror. <laughs> hey, buddy. <laughs> it's time to talk to some aliens. Okay, so Arthur in turn would write his own book entitled The Wall of Light, which includes a diagram of the Tesla scope. So according to Or in short, the T-scope. Well, (laughs) no, no, no. Hold on, hold on. The Tesla scope is short for the Tesla Interplanetary Communication Set. But if you want to go shorter, we could just call it the T-scope. The T-scope. Hand me the T-scope, boy. Hand me the T-scope, buddy. Hand me the T-scope. So uh, according to author, and and to quote him again, speak it to one end. And the signal goes out the other end as a cosmic ray emitter. So there is unfortunately a bit of a hiccup with this diagram in the book. Uh, According to Tim's book, commenting on Arthur's book, uh, the diagrams don't make any electronic sense. And (laughs) the device's existence has never been confirmed. So take that as you will. So no pictures of these towers, like I asked. <laughs> we got diagrams. They don't make a lick of sense, but they, they we got diagrams. He's like, I drew these diagrams in crayon on the back of this IHOP menu. There's wow. your proof. The evidence is there. Maybe we're just not smart enough to get in. it yet. <laughs> so though Tesla confide, confided in Arthur about the aliens, Arthur was kept in the loop. He's one of the inside guys. Um, Arthur, unlike his mentor Tesla, didn't view the aliens as so much of a threat. 
And uh, Tim's book kind of, uh, you know, makes a side mention of, you know, to put my own words, it probably didn't help that at this point in Arthur's life, uh, it's it's now the 50s, the 1950s. And if you recall from way back in season one, when we talked about a boy Ashtar, uh, UFOs had exploded in popularity in the 50s. Everybody mm-hmm. was all about the UFOs. And uh, a lot of people at the time were seeking out friendly, enlightened aliens like our boy Ashtar. Mm-hmm. He was a cool dude. He was with it. Plus, I was just going to ask, is Ar- was Arthur wealthy? Um, I don't know, but I didn't get that impression. I mean, he was the lab assistant. I, okay. Yeah. Because I was saying, if, the, he's, if he's got lots of money. Of, yeah, he's not I the can, king of Canada. Just saying, if he has <laughs> lots of money, I could see why he likes the aliens. <laughs> They don't so mean me says, any harm. He, he just he just uh, figured on light Tesla that the aliens are probably cool cats. Yeah, if you're rich. So let's take a pause from Arthur and jump to another topic of interest to us in particular, the Philadelphia experiment. No! We're doing some cross-season. <laughs> no! How the, stuff here today, how the hell do you do this? <laughs> well, I mean... You thought okay, we were okay. done. Okay, I mean, the thing is, yeah, Tesla was involved with the Manhattan with the Manhattan Project. So, I mean, like, or for the oh, Philadelphia oh. Experiment. The Philadelphia the Experiment. Breaks, dude. What? The Manhattan Project? Not the Manhattan Project, the Philadelphia Experiment. Yes, I got, I got confu- confuddled, okay? We're not dropping <laughs> nukes here. No. We're making, we're making Navy ships disappear. So, I'm just saying, you know, go ahead. Continue. All right. So, if you remember from our philadelphia experiment episode if you don't go listen to it we talked a lot about a certain dude by the name of al bilek bilek i still don't know how to pronounce it it's been all this time later and i still don't have the pronunciation down <laughs> let's go with with uh, bilek or bilek man listeners listeners i got homework for you little podcast horrors <laughs> gmail.com how do you pronounce it okay is it so bilek probably so Al Balek from a Philadelphia Experiment episode and Preston Nichols, uh, they both claim, as we talked about in that episode, that Tesla was involved in the Philadelphia Experiment. So according according to, to Balek, in 1931, a special team of scientists was formed, uh, a group of super scientists or super friends, if you will. Ah, uh, super friends. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Science... so this team uh the special you know crack team of scientists uh included john hutchinson who was the dean of of the university of chicago dr emil kurtenauer an austrian physicist and our boy tesla the the this uh you know pre-philadelphia experiment team their mission was to investigate uh, the possibility of demagnifying warships, which you may recall we talked about in that episode. Mm-hmm. But Tesla, he actually achieved partial invisibility under lab conditions. Uh, I am not going to go into that depth because that's a whole other tangent. And, and again, Tim's book goes there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, pick up Tim's book to get the get the deets. But anyway, suffice it to say, Tesla had it figured out. He know how to at least achieve partial visibility. Again, under lab conditions, a very controlled environment. Um, so so basically the way it goes down and that you'll learn in Tim's book is like Tesla learned how 
to do this via an accident that happened in 1895 while he was testing his unified theory. Again, if we go back, if you go back to the Philadelphia experiment episode, unified theory is kind of a big deal. We get into some Einstein, we got some Tesla going. It's uh, nobody's quite figured it figured out that whole unified theory yet. Anyway, um, this accident left Tesla briefly seeing both the past and the future, and uh, he was time displaced for a bit. No way! What? So good. Well, that is an entire chapter in Tim's book. I recommend you read it. I have actually heard about this. Wait, so. Where does this information come from again? Like other than Tim's book, but like, where does he get it? Is Tesla's it from his diaries yeah, or his journals? Uh, Tesla secret journals. And then the various characters we've talked about, like, uh, you know, the guy, the, our Canadian boy that we mentioned earlier, who was an assistant. So, so that these figures that we covered that were covered in Tim's book and the journals, what has been unearthed of them. But the time displacement that was from which one of those? Um, I'm not sure. I need to go back and look at that chapter. Oh. I, ju- I just wanted to tease enough to <laughs> to, to give Tim a plug. So you don't just go oh, yeah. through my episodes and go, well, I don't need Tim to read Tim's book now. Yeah, you do. Because you want to learn about the invisibility, don't you? I, so- I'm trying I was trying to find it, his book. So, <laughs> so Tesla <laughs> read it. <laughs> so Tesla, alien, alien communicator, partially turns invisible. And time traveler. Yeah, he was a busy guy. So anyway, the project um, is later moved to Princeton, to Princeton's Institute of Advanced Studies and named Project Rainbow. Rainbow, because it's all about invisibility. So this is moved to Princeton in 36, 1936. So they go from being and, the Justice League to the Care Bears. Aww. And at this point, uh, once it moves to Princeton, Tesla becomes the project director. And now Tesla, as project director, requested and received a Navy battleship to test on. Yep. The first test, and again, for all the deets, let's tear Philadelphia experiment episode. But the first test was in 1940, and it was deemed a success when the ship and the crew vanished. The ship had two large Tesla coils, a.k.a. electromagnets, on each hull, both of which were powerful enough to warp gravity. But the problem was, and the problem was confirmed, if you go back and listen to the episode, that uh, Tesla started having doubts. He began to doubt the safety of the experiment after he had a chat with some aliens about it. Was this also after the ship disappeared and came back and people were stuck in the walls? This is before. Oh, okay. (laughs) Tesla, Tesla started to put out a warning sign that, oh, I think we're about to have a problem here. Oh, okay, okay. So this, so now I'm going to quote Bailey, uh, Bailey. So according to Bailey, Tesla had a press announcement in 1923 where he stated he was talking with ETs off planet. Now, after he retired from RCA, he maintained a laboratory in, the, in his living quarters at the Hotel New Yorker. Unknown to most people, he had a second laboratory, laboratory, if you will, which apparently was his main one on top of the Waldorf Historia on the top floor and both penthouse towers. He maintained a transmitter set up on the Waldorf and his receiving setup. His receiving antennas and receivers, which had been built by RCA under his direction, were on the New Yorker. And I know two people who said they were working with Tesla during that period 
that he was using that equipment. He was talking with somebody virtually every day. And one of them was emphatic. It was someone off planet. In plain language, he was communicating with ETs. That's That's out of Balak's mouth. So after having his alien chat, Tesla concluded that anyone entering the ship while the Gauss coils were turned on would be damaged by electromagnetic radiation within this reality. So his talks with the aliens confirmed this problem. Now, if you happen to be in a different reality, you might be fine. (laughs) (laughs) But if you're here, your ass is going into those walls. So Balik also said that Tesla Tesla was also concerned with his equipment warping time (laughs) and space with dire consequences for the ship's occupants. Oh... But the Navy had a war and wanted results. Tesla resigned in March of 1942. The Navy ignored his concerns, and we already know what followed. People if you don't know, you don't know, we got an episode about it. That's mm-hmm. right. So just to put just to line all this up on a nice happy timeline, the the infamous experiment occurred in somewhere July, August of 1943, which was a few months following tesla's death that previous january so who wants to know about nazi flying saucers oh me 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 i do (laughs) oh good and guess what we're about to learn about (laughs) fascist flying saucers oh boy oh boy oh boy by 1947 flying saucer sightings were everywhere so but the thing was with all these reports flying about all over the media Various scientists and workers who survived the recent World War II recognized them. They were similar to top-secret aircraft they had made for the Nazis. Oh, shit. Wild Nazi science is hardly news, right? Mm -hmm. They were working on atomic bombs. They were working on orbital missiles. They were doing sonic weapons, death rays, etc., etc., and they were trying to steal the Ark of the Covenant. Exactly. But India and they got claimated as a result. They got claimated to death. <laughs> so remember from the previous episode, I mentioned that the Nazis stole some of Tesla's research that we later got back via Project Paperclip. So um, it's no secret today, looking back, that there were various and sundry Nazi spies planted throughout New York City. In fact, Fun fact, six months before World War II even started, the FBI arrested 33 German spies. Some, in fact, allege that Tesla's business associate, one George H. Scherf Sr., stole papers to sell to the Germans from Tesla. Um, So as we go into this next little subtopic, I want to note that elsewhere in Tim's book, he has an entire chapter on Nikola Tesla's anti-gravity tech. Sweet. So it's outside the scope of us talking about Tesla and aliens, so I'm not going there. But read the book. Tim's got you covered if you want to learn about what Tesla is doing in anti-gravity. I only mention that because the Nazis were sure, sure interested in it. So I'm going to quote Tesla again. This time via uh, the New York Herald Tribune, dated October 15, 1911. Per Tesla, the flying machine of the future, my flying machine, will be heavier than air, but it will not be an aeroplane. It will have no wings. It will be substantial, solid, stable, 
You might see it on the ground and you would never guess that it was a flying machine. Yet it will be able to move at will through the air in any direction with perfect safety at higher speeds than have yet been reached, regardless of weather and oblivious of holes in the air or downward currents. It can remain absolutely stationary in the air, even in a wind, for a great length of time. Its lifting power will not depend on any such delicate devices as the bird has to employ, but upon positive mechanical action. The application of this principle will give the world a flying machine unlike anything that has ever been suggested before. It will have no planes, no screw propellers or devices of any kind hitherto used. It will be small and compact, excessively swift, and, above all, perfectly safe in the greatest storm. It can be built of any size and can carry any weight that may be desired. So basically, to put really smart concepts into really brief, dumb words, Tesla's, uh, Tesla's model flying aircraft consisted of a rotating magnetic field, a blade-less turbine, because, you know, you think of airplane turbines having a little mm-hmm. blade, no blades, and high-voltage coils. So we got this basically basically a, a ship that lists via magnetism and Tesla coils. Like how that is so cool. Yeah, how, how steampunk is that? Man, I want one of those. Uh, Don't worry, the Nazis had it. Uh, great. So just a quick aside about this tech. Uh, it used what was called electropropulsion electro propulsive technology electro poo poo electro propulsive technology should be a great like techno group name right electro propulsive mm-hmm. so this was part of tesla's larger broader dynamic theory of gravity uh which he completed sometime between 1893 and 1894 it was never published. Why? It's still classified by the U.S. That's why. But they classified it a little too late because the Germans stole the information on it as early as 1934. Oops, a doodle. <sighs> Should have classified it faster. Yep. Unfortunately, or fortunately for us, but unfortunately for the Nazis, there were a lot of gaps uh, in information because Tesla knew what he needed Remember, because of the visions, he stored stuff mm-hmm. in his head. He didn't have time to make notes. He hated drawings. But uh, he knew what he needed in his head, and he worked too fast for his assistants to be able to note everything down themselves. So given those gaps in the notes, the Nazis were left to figure out the rest, which meant that their first tests were of crude prototypes, and uh, they didn't have any modicum of success until near the end of the war. Good. Let's talk about the Nazi flying discs. Yeah, let's do that. I'm about to say a lot of words I'm never going to know how to pronounce. <laughs> Get ready. Here they come. We're ready. Flugkapitän Rudolf Schreiber invented the Flugkressel. No, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> I know what that is. He's just going to like this little killer flugkapitän in the Flugkapitän. Hey, remember when we said we didn't want to piss off Germans in the last episode? <laughs> let's, just, let's just admit we're Americans who are horrible with Earth languages and leave it at that. We are very horrible with really languages. Are. But anyway, the fluke kressel uh, basically means flight gyro. Okay. That's one guy's one invention. 
Next is Victor Schauberger developed the repulsing or repulsor in English motor, which was a colloidal disc motor utilizing air and water product. Uh, excuse me, air, a motor that utilized air and water to produce a vortex to levitate the aircraft. I'm telling you, it's a ship that levitates via tornadoes, okay? <laughs> Little that bitty is tornado. so cool. So, so get ready. I'm about to drop the bomb on you. Here's the best freaking part. BMW <laughs> developed the flug- flugelrod, meaning disc fan, a central body housing two pilots covered by a hemispheric dome surrounded by a disc blade motor. Okay, so basically... They built they built a flying they they built a BMW flying saucer. Now for yeah. you guys, I posted a picture in our in our private chat, and for the rest of y'all listeners, we we will post it on Instagram because mm-hmm. you got to see this. But yeah, that little Nazi flying saucer you're looking at, it's BMW. It's a freaking BMW. <laughs> BMW. That's crazy. Flying saucer. It's I the, bet it's the BMW bet, of the Jetson era. I bet they flew like rude jerks. They were speeding, <laughs> cutting everyone off, flipping the finger. You know BMW drivers. Like the BMW flying saucers, just, man, I can't even yeah. care with those guys. And when they parked, they didn't pay the meter. Yeah. And then, and then the, the Office of Alien Property has to hold them off. Yep. <laughs> yep, that's it. BMW flying saucers is what I'm here for, okay? I, I, am, I am a happier man knowing that this exists. <laughs> Moving on, Bruno Schreintreit patented the Mieth Shriver disc, aka Mystery Secret Weapon V7. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I really just mentioned that because I really wanted to say Mystery Secret <laughs> Weapon V7. <laughs> As you would. Then in April 17, 1944, the Mieth, short for Mieth Shriver that I just mentioned, this this little flying saucer flew over the Baltic, and the Nazi SS reported the test success to Hitler. We get this thing to just soar over the Baltic. Not a not a not a small accomplishment, right? Yeah, you can't throw a frisbee that. Uh, about a year later, in February nineteen of nineteen forty five, the flying saucer, quote unquote, flew near Prague, hitting thirteen hundred miles per hour and attaining 45,000 feet altitude in two minutes. Oh. By comparison, and I love this, by comparison, the BMW could barely lift off, was unstable, and it suffered a (laughs) ton of hard landings. (laughs) (laughs) Luxury cars, am I right? Of course. (laughs) BMW, it doesn't really work. Our dad used to call it big money wasted. And look, I don't want to piss off all the BMWs of the world, <laughs> owners of the world. I like I like BMW cars. I used to own a Lexus myself, and we have we have our own reputation. Well, you just got to live with it. But uh, anyway, according to another book entitled "Hunt for Zero Point" by the author Nick Cook, the four fifteenth Night Fighter Squadron reported Foo Fighters, which was the the lingo of the day for UFOs. Mm-hmm. They reported Foo Fighters in 1944 within a triangle area uh, over southern Germany. So like dry triangle over a certain area of southern Germany. So that triangle included uh, Frankfurt, 
am Main, Metz, and Strasbourg. So uh, German Major Rudolf Lussar, in his book, German Secret Weapons of World War II, uh, he, he talked about in that book finding another book. Okay, so sorry about the bookception here. Tim's book <laughs> mentions Lusser's book that mentions Lusser finding another book inside of the Imperial War Museum, which described the great scientific achievements of, quote-unquote, a small, industrious, and honest nation which lost the war. Okay. <laughs> wow. Or Germany. Oh. You, small, you small, little, industrious nation. <laughs> only to buy the world <laughs> anyway the reason that book is worth mentioning is because uh, it mentioned various german quote-unquote wonder weapon according to lucer and this is this is quoting the german the german major experts and collaborators in this work confirm that the first projects called flying discs were undertaken in 1941 so now we have a german major you know weighing in saying yeah we did it so, uh, in fact, a secret test platform was uh, built near uh, Wenceslas in Poland, and it was used to test applications of Tesla's dynamic theory of gravity and Einstein's unified field theory. So that's the story of the Nazi flying saucers, guys. That's crazy. And the BMW flying saucer, <laughs> which is now my favorite thing in the whole world. <laughs> The shitty BMW flying saucer that doesn't really work and has hard landings. That was some big money wasted indeed. <laughs> All right. So let's wrap the story of Tesla and his legacy up with the Nazi bell. I'm not touching this. Ooh, nope. Qu'est-ce que c'est? <laughs> so the Nazi bell was a particular uh, flying Nazi flying saucer of note. This one consisted of two counter-rotating cylindrical containers, one meter in diameter, one of them above the other, filled with cryogenically cooled and frozen mercury metal. I'm just telling you the science of how the Nazi bell did its thing. I don't know what any of that means. <laughs> Somebody yeah. does. Never mind. Anyway, a frozen core of a metallic paste served as a high permeability material for the electromagnetic gra gravitational field. So all of them fancy words to say this is another, it, it, it's a bell-shaped flying saucer that could do some electromagnetism to lift off the ground, okay? And do some crazy stuff. The problem was it consumed a ton of electricity, which which was a problem that Tesla had been aware of when he wrote about this technology to begin with. Uh, it could only be run for one to two minutes because it's radiation killed several scientists oh my god rendered various plants and animals into decomposed blackish goo within a few Damn. minutes or hours okay who wants to test the nazi bed oh my god <laughs> you may so or may aggressive. not become black goo this is one bell you don't want to ring uh, others i guess who survived this experience others reported a metallic taste in their mouth including tesla when he was doing his own experiments so, so if you blood? don't turn into black goo you might test taste some metal just just fyi there's wow. like a whole range there yeah that's just like <laughs> you might have some slight metallic taste on your tongue you might turn into goo we don't know you know <laughs> it's the flip of a coin you know either way it gets in the bell <laughs> <laughs> okay so um unfortunately 
everyone who saw or worked on the bell were murdered by the Nazi SS near the war's end. Damn. Or they turned into goop. Or the ones that weren't that. Like it. Yeah. So our tale of Nazi flying saucers, based on Nikola Tesla's research, ends here. The bell, with all its turning people into goo effects, was taken from Poland, after which it disappeared from history. Some think that perhaps it was taken to secret Nazi base 211 in Antarctica. I was just thinking of Antarctica. That's where it is. For the love of God, don't turn it on. Uh, yeah, right. Even if you do, you're only going to get like however far I could take you in two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> before it runs out of gas. <laughs> and turns you into venom, basically. So there ends our secret tale of Tesla's life. Dot, 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 or does it? It doesn't, because if you read the rest of Tim's book, there's a lot more. Yes. I'm getting that book. I am also uh, getting that book. Tesla was a busy man. Right. Uh, and had a lot of odd things going on. <laughs> this guy like lived the sci-fi life. Like I can see why this, I can see why in the last episode that one dude thought, this sounds like a sci-fi writer to me. I mean, he's freaking yeah. from Venus and fucking. I can see that. Blind saucers and time traveling shit. And he's just, oh, there's a men in black in my living room. Mm-hmm. Men are from Mars, Tesla's from Venus. I guess so. <laughs> And the BMW UFOs don't fly for shit. And getting parts for it is very expensive. Oh my gosh. I imagine yeah. BMW doesn't want anyone to know about that part of their history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Somewhere there's a BMW exec <laughs> listening to our podcast. Silence them now. <laughs> now, what's funny is uh, there have been recent, I mean, you know, there, there's folks that have successfully built flying cars, not in the sense that. You know, you want to think back to future style, but something that both drives on ground and flies in the air, albeit not the prettiest thing in the world. But, um, you know, those are things that exist. And, mm-hmm. you know, it so happens what well, one of the prototypes that's been built is powered by a BMW engine. So the legacy lives on. The uh... legacy lives on. Big money wasted. <laughs> so that's part two, folks. Part All right. three, we're going to talk to the author himself. Tune in. <laughs> Tune in next week. Same little podcast of horror time. Same little podcast of horror channel. Thank you for listening to Little Podcast of Horrors. If you like this episode, please like, subscribe, and share. Uh, got a true tale of the unexplained? Send us an email at littlepodcasthorrors at gmail.com or visit our website at littlepodcastofhorrors.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, join our Patreon. For $2 a month, you get access to our private Discord server where we chat, game, and you'll get access to episode extras. Don't want to commit to a monthly subscription? Make a one-time donation through Spotify or buy us a coffee. All donations keep the lights on for the show and help us fund future future on-location visits to haunted places. Links are in the episode description. Want to learn witchy stuff? Take a course with Bear Bridge Academy. You can also hire a witch or psychic at the Ozo Salon. Be sure to use code LITTLEPODCAST for 20% off Bear Bridge courses and Ozo services. Thanks for listening, my loves. Bye!